worship this morning. Hey, um, you can follow along this morning on version or in the bulletin. Now, version, you need to have updated it. They came up with some updates recently, and they've changed some things about how the live events work. Like, when you look for live events, now it's just events. And we can put pictures in there now and stuff. So get on there, and you'll find us. It's a little bit different, but you need to have the updated version of that in order to find that. But we continue this morning with our Life Hack series. Next week, of course, is Easter. Very excited about that. Um, if it's convenient for you next week, you might think about parking a little farther away over there in the North Dallas uh, bank lot so that we have space close in for the visitors that will be here with us next week. Why? Parents of young children hear that question a lot, right? Um, you need to eat your Brussels sprouts. Why? Um, you, need to, uh, you need to brush your teeth. Why? Uh, don't bite your sister. Why? I mean, we hear that a lot. And at some point, if you're like me, you, you go into the because I told you so. I mean, at first, you start out with, hey, how cool is it that my little one is starting to ask questions about how the world works and trying to understand. And then you get frustrated. And it's just like, well, I'm your dad. That's why, okay? Um, but that is one of those questions that we struggle with as we become adults. Maybe we, we wonder why, you know, why do they have interstate highways in Hawaii? You know, what's that about? Uh, <laughs> why, yeah, it's a good one. Um, why do we park on the driveway hmm? and drive on the parkway? Hmm, why? And then there are those deeper, more... Um, kind of soul-wrenching whys in life that we wrestle with from time to time. In James chapter 5, the author is going to use the example of Job from the Old Testament. And why is kind of a theme for Job. In fact, in the 42 chapters of the book of Job, more than three dozen times, that question is asked why? Either by Job or by his friends. Now, he was a person like you, like me. Uh, he was, in fact, Job was a quite well-adjusted, and I think you could say by most any metric, a successful person. He could have kind of checked the boxes and on all of those things that you would use to quantify whether someone is doing well or not doing well. Strong family, he had it. Um, team of loyal employees or, or servants, he had that. Uh, material wealth had that. Health, he enjoyed that as well. And he was the kind of guy, this is, Job was the kind of guy you want to see do well, right? He was the kind of guy that you would root for. Um, he was a good guy. He just was. Good dad, good husband, um, good boss, good servant of God, general, all around good dude. Now, if you know anything about Job's story, then you know how suddenly and how shockingly Job watched his life unravel. He watched, he, he watched his life go off the rails, really. Um, remember how it went down? Satan was, was looking and, and saw Job, a very righteous man, a good man, and Job, uh, or rather Satan, thought, Let's see if I can turn this good man into a bad man um, by taking away 
all imaginable sources of peace and comfort that Job is currently enjoying. I believe that will cause him to lose his grip on God and turn to despair and give up. So Satan orchestrates a, basically a pain campaign in the life of Job. A raiding party shows up and steals a bunch of his animals and kills off some of his trusted servants. And then this fire consumes more of his livestock and kills more of his servants. Job is reeling at this point, but he hasn't seen anything yet because that's when he gets the news that um, a roof collapsed in this venue where his sons and daughters were celebrating a feast and they did not survive. He lost his children. To top it all off, I guess, he also comes down with this very painful skin disease. Don't know, shingles or something like that, but from the top of his head to the bottoms of his feet, he's just in, in physical agony. Okay? And then there was Job's wife of many years. Did Satan take her away? Nah, he left her in place. Um, in chapter 2, verse 9, you'll see why he left her in place. She says, Darling Job, why don't you curse God and die? She encouraged him to quit on God and to quit on life. Now, Job did not follow her advice, but he did with tears. And with heartache, he did ask, why? Why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? He did ask why. He did not, however, lose his grip on God. Job chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. Then Job arose and tore his clothes and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. With everything that happened. And let's be honest, Satan threw everything but the kitchen sink at this guy. Did Job lose his grip? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. In fact, James, like I said in chapter 5, is going, to, is going to lift him up and say, look at this guy. When you're struggling, when you're having trouble holding on, look at Job, verses, verse 11 here. What a gift, James says, what a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him in the end, that's because God cares. Cares right down to the last detail. So God had this course plotted out for Job. And in the end, 
God brought it all together. You remember at the end of the story, Job is, is doubly blessed and all of that. And he becomes this incredible example to people like us of what perseverance looks like, of what it means to push on when everything around you is pulling you back and tearing a, your grip away from the Lord. And the kinds, this is why I think Job is important for you and I and why Job uses him as an example because the kinds of challenges that Job faced would have caused most people to simply give up and quit on life. Now this may be the one thing Jesus wants you to hear this morning. It may be the one thing you need to take home with you this morning. Don't turn loose of your faith in Him. Don't lose your grip on God. And if you've wandered off, if you have lost your grip, or if someone that you care about has, don't give up on them. James tells us in verses 19 and 20, my dear friends, if you know people who've wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back. And you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. So Christ is not in the business of writing people off. Every life is precious to Him. So once again... When it gets hard to hold on, when you begin to lose your grip in life, don't quit on God and don't give up on people who have lost their grip. Now, you may be asking, why this morning? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Or why did this happen in my... Why did that tragedy happen? Why was that person taken away from me? Why am I struggling in this area or that area? And I believe that James is going to help us this morning get a handle on that. But first, in chapter 5, he does a pretty good job, I think, of giving us some of the very top things that, that tend to loosen our grip. Some of the things that really cause us to struggle. So here we go. The first thing James talks about is money, right? He talks about money problems. Um, interestingly, he's going to tell us that both having it, money, and not having it can cause us to lose focus. Money can cause us to lose focus whether we have it or we don't have it. Are you worried about money right now? Okay, a lot of us are worried about money right now. Check this out, though. Um, this kind of thing reminds us, uh, I think, in James, that what we are reading is inspired by God. Um, because we generally think money problems, yeah, money problems. I could definitely use more money. I really need more money. Sure, that's true sometimes. But James, <laughs> James levels with us, I think. He looks us straight in the eye and he says, um, not only can not having money be a problem, but honestly, having money can be a problem. And for a lot of folks, it's more challenging, honestly, that they have money. Um, how many people do you know who frankly have lost their grip because of money, whether they've piled up so much of it 
or they're obsessed with the pursuit of it. How many do you know who've watched their kind of their marriage relationship go down the tube or, or, or they're not spending time with their children because of money or they're not tithing, they're not giving God the first fruits and, and recognizing Him as the source of all. In fact, they don't even feel like they need God anymore because they've got enough money. How many people have, have started to use their employees who maybe they once saw as partners who they once valued, now they don't value them at all. They're just tools to get more money. How many people do you know who've done that? How many have royally messed up their lives? Not because they didn't have money, but frankly because they did have money. And if you want examples, just, I guess, get on TMZ or something or watch the news. It's all over the place, right? So here's how James kind of paints this, this ugly portrait of what money can do to a person. James chapter 5 verses 1 to 4. He says, now look here, you rich people. Weep and groan and anguish because of all of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. The treasure that you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers who you've cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of Heaven's armies. So money can draw people off sides. Money can loosen our grip and cause all sorts of destruction and ruin in our lives. Number two, James says, and this one is, is a biggie for us, life's not fair. <laughs> life's not fair. And, and this, this question, why do good people suffer? And why do the evil, why does it look like they're prospering? He says this question can really loosen our grip. It can really nag at us. And I think a lot of us have that question, right? James talks about it specifically in those same verses at the beginning of the chapter. Like, like they're watching. I think a lot of people James is writing to, they're watching this world around them. And these people who have prosperity and who are doing well and who are driving the late model camel or whatever, I mean, who have material wealth, they're not good people. They're cheaters. They're liars. They're extorting. Um, they're even willing, according to James, to use violent means to get ahead a little further. This kind of stuff can make us angry. In fact, it, it should make us angry, I think. Beyond that, though, it can cause people to kind of tune out. It can kind of cause us to, to give up on working for the Lord's kingdom, working for justice in this world, because it doesn't look like justice has a chance. It's a lost cause. And so we can lose our grip on that mission. Things can just kind of seem hopeless. Third thing that can cause us to lose our grip. James says it's, it's hardship. No surprise here. Hardship. Tragedy and pain 
shake us. They do. And maybe you've been passing through a pain campaign like Job here, um, and you're just so bruised and battered by life. It doesn't feel like you can. It doesn't feel like you can hold on another day. Well, how about this one? Number four, illness. James talks about illness in chapter five. Um, sec- sickness wrecks our plans. I mean, it does more than that. It stinks to be sick. Um, it, re- uh, it never helps you achieve your plans in life, right? To get sick, really sick. And I don't know who would like to get sick. I don't think anybody does. It just doesn't push us forward in life. And so that can cause us to lose grip. There's no convenient time to get a diagnosis of, of cancer or something like that. Finally, number five, sin. Sin can cause us to lose our grip on God. The Lord's plan for us is short-circuited by sin. His beautiful dream for your life is never advanced by your sin, all right? Um, Christ understands the destructive power that sin can have to wreck those plans. And so, he urges us to come back to the Lord, to draw near to the Lord, to, to repent and confess and change our ways. Now this, good news here, this is essentially the bad news portion of James chapter 5. It is not a bad news chapter, okay? Um, James is just telling us, look, these are the kinds of things that pull people away, that cause them to lose their grip. But chapter 5 is really about these life hacks on how you can hold on when it gets hard. How you can, like Job, finish the race that God has for you and be blessed by the Lord and experience His abundance for you. So check this out in verse 7. He says, Be patient then, brothers. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't lose your grip. Don't stop running. The Lord's coming is near. Deliverance is right there. You're on the verge of it. He says, now Job had every reason to quit. Every reason to quit. But he didn't. He refused to lose his grip on God because he knew he was on the verge of deliverance. He had his questions, but he knew God was sovereign. What about you? Whether it's a dramatic move of God, an answer to a prayer that you experience today or tomorrow, or or whether it is a, a dramatic change in circumstances that happens to benefit you today or tomorrow, or whether it is that deliverance that we as believers expect, that we know that is waiting for us in Jesus Christ, the crown of life, the heavenly reward, we can hold on. We can be patient. We can stand firm. And it's as if in chapter 5, it's as if Jesus himself is saying to us, don't quit on me. In his eternal perspective, he can see how close you are to the end of the race, how close you are to victory, how near deliverance is. And he's saying, don't quit. He's urging you on. So James reminds us, 
here we get into this positive part of James chapter 5. First thing here, James reminds us, life is a marathon, not a sprint. All of his examples, he uses Job, he uses the prophets, all of his examples are examples of perseverance, examples of not giving up. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. Cultivate the endurance that comes from a long-haul perspective. Now, here's another key attitude for believers. The second thing here is to keep calm and trust Christ. Keep calm and trust Christ. Remember, when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. I didn't make that up. I'm not sure who said that. I'm quite confident I did not make that up. But when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. And as believers, this is really, this is our story, right? I mean, this is at the heart of the Easter story that we will gather and celebrate next week. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. I mean, think about that. At the very moment of apparent defeat, right? At the very moment where it seems all is lost, hope is extinguished, that was the moment in the story of Jesus where victory came, right? Wasn't that the moment? There he is hanging on the cross. Satan and the powers of evil, the powers of sin, have put him there. Life is draining away. He expires. The Son of God is dead. And three days later, the victory, the greatest victory in all of history. You talk about a Cinderella story. That's it right there. Jesus rises from the grave, conquers sin and death, and offers that hope to all of us. That's our story. That's the gospel. That's, our, that's your story, believer. That's your story. When the chips are down, when we are down to nothing, God is up to something. James points to Job, verse 11. He says, you have heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You can have your questions, James says. You can say, why, 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 all you want. Remember the thing you know in your heart. God is full of compassion and mercy. God is up to something, despite appearances to the contrary. Next. I struggled with how to put this, so bear with me on this. This, this is what I... When life stinks, <laughs> when life stinks, pray it out. When it's good, praise it out. I think that's James' advice here. When life stinks, pray it out. When it's good, praise it out. He says in verse 13, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. These aren't just ideas here, philosophies. These are, these are practical things. He says, you can do this. Simple. Do this. You're sad. You're troubled. Get on your knees and pray about that. You got good news. Things are going well. 
lift up your arms to heaven and praise because of that. We can do that, right? We can do that. Um, Now, back to that big why question that we have. The unfairness of life. Evil seems to prosper, and so often the godly seem to struggle. What's going on with that? How do I cope with that? The next bullet point there, and we've talked about this before here, let go and let God. That's really James's advice in James chapter, let, let go and let God. Life is unfair now, but as a believer, I'm certain that God will make things right. Okay, that deserves an amen. God will make things right. Everything will be made right. Now let's read this verse together from James chapter 5 verse 9. If you would read this, this verse together. The judge is standing at the door. Remember that, James says. The judge is standing. Wait, all these evil people over here, they're getting away with murder. All these greedy people are, are succeeding. They're breaking the law and they're doing this and they're, they're exploiting people. There's no justice. James says, the judge is at the door. He's saying, don't get lulled into believing that evil is actually going to win. Don't fall asleep thinking, well, there is no justice in this world. He says, remember, the judge is at the door. There is a judge, and there will be a day of reckoning, James says. And we've got this, we really have this insider knowledge, don't we, as children of God. He's got this. There will be a final judge, a perfect judge who will make everything right. Count on it. And finally, keep it real. Being honest and open about my sins and my shortcomings releases forgiveness and healing into my life. Honest and open about my sins, James says, that releases forgiveness and healing in my life. That, James says, we'll see in a minute, it is a community activity. And we don't much enjoy this. Satan knows that this will strengthen your grip on God, so he makes it fearful for us. You can't, you can't confess that to a brother in Christ. You can't struggle with that at church. You can't be a Christian and wrestle with that. James says, sure you can. Sure you can. Struggle with it, yes. Don't give in to it. Confess. Come back to God. But you've got to be real about it. Be open about it. He says in verse 16, make this your common practice. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other, not just to God. Confess your sins to each other. 
and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. So that you can live together whole and healed. Here at Preston Crest, um, we have all kinds of different struggles, don't we? Everyone, I think John Ortberg calls it your, your sin signature. All of us have signature sins that pull at us. They may not pull at the person sitting on the pew across from us, but they pull at us. And here at Preston Crest, we are a grace-filled family of God where we can be real about our struggles where we can be real about our sins. And I see this, I see this dynamic at work of, of struggle, of confession, of redemption, of healing. I see this dynamic at work all the time here. Let me give you an example. Um, several have come to me over the past seven years who struggle with same-sex attraction, right? In fact, recently, a couple of people came to me. We had lunch together. We had a couple of meetings together. And they were, uh, a man and a woman, were, who are friends, were just confessing to me with much tears and much grief their lifelong struggle with, with being gay. They love Jesus. They're committed to the Lord. They're committed to His plan for their life sexually in all ways but they struggle and they prayed to just be set free right they haven't been set free from that struggle from that temptation from the cross that they carry and so I got to hear them share their struggles and their tears and I got to hear them share how they they want their struggle to become a place of healing for others who struggle with that and we have a lot of groups like that here at Preston Crest for people who struggle with loss, grief share, people who struggle with a divorce that's, that's gone, that's been torn apart. We have divorce care. We have the hope class. We have all sorts of groups. Well, they, they started a group called Just Us for people who, who, like themselves, struggle with this particular sin. Get together and eat together and share time together, pray with each other talk through the struggle. And by the way, if you'd like to join them, if you, if you need that kind of support, they'd love for you to join in with them. Connect with them as they encourage each other to follow the Lord more fully. And I can help you connect to that group if that's something you need. But like I said, this is a place... Uh, this is not a place... Preston Chris, where you have to act phony, where it's not okay to struggle with whatever it is that you think is, I got to keep this one secret. You can struggle with that here. Get help here. You can get encouragement here. You can experience God here. You can confess that here. I don't know that this would be the venue for that. You know, James says confess one to another. He doesn't say broadcast it over Twitter necessarily, right? Um, Find someone to confess that to. Unburden yourself. Lighten the load. Strengthen your grip on the Lord. A short time ago, the story really encouraged me. A 39-year-old Venezuelan marathoner 
named Michael Melamed finished the Boston Marathon. Now, he finished it the following day at 4 o'clock in the morning. It took him 20 hours to finish the race, but it was a beautiful thing. Michael has been all around the world, ran in, in, at the Berlin Marathon, the Chicago Marathon, the New York City Marathon. It's a beautiful thing because Michael struggles with a very debilitative, debilitative disease that's a lot like muscular dystrophy. And so it was a huge accomplishment for him just to cross the tape, to cross the finish line. And over the past few years, he's, he's, he's run in a bunch of marathons, and I just look at his example, I think, wow, that's amazing. Now, something he said I found really interesting, and I'll share it with you. He recently said in an interview, this was after the Boston Marathon, he said, in any marathon, you have to know why you're running it. And then this line is great. In any marathon, you have to know why you're running it. Because the last mile, the marathon will ask you. <laughs> Do you love that? In life, you better know why you're running it. Why am I holding on? Why am I continuing when every part in my body, in my soul, my spirit wants to quit? Why? Well, you can keep going. You can hang on until you cross the finish line if you've got an answer to that question. And as believers, we're in the race. Our why is Jesus. We're in the race because of Jesus. He redeemed us from this vicious cycle of sin and shame that's at work all around us in the world. He set us free from that. Jesus is our why because Jesus redeemed us from hopelessness. Jesus is our why because we know because of his resurrection... We're going to have a resurrection. Jesus is our why because we know he, he reclaimed us, redeemed us to be victorious. So we, we run the race and we keep running. Even in that 26th mile, we keep running because of Jesus. Now, this morning, you may just need prayers over whatever it is that's, <laughs> that's pulling at you. Whatever it is that's got you about ready to just let go and give up. Whatever it is that's, that's causing you to loosen your grip on the Lord's love for you, on His grace for you. You may need prayers about that. We would encourage you to find someone around you or pray with me or one of our elders. Just pray about that and ask God for help. That's one of the things James says. Look, if, you, if you're in a time of trouble, pray about it. Or maybe you need to cross that line of faith and be baptized into the name of Jesus. And in that watery grave of baptism, as you reenact the gospel story, Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. You will join your story to that story of victory. If that's what you need to do, or whatever it is you need to do to respond to God, do that as we stand together.
as we worship him.